Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, the pre-Christmas Peter King Podcast. I'm coming to you from Seattle this week. Uh, my daughter, Mary Beth, and her husband, Nick, have just had a baby in the last few days, and they actually named him Peter. So that was quite an honor. And it's kind of funny when, when, uh, when Mary Beth was, uh, you know, pondering this, I think she thought, oh my gosh, what'll happen if, if I, uh, if I name this baby Peter and, and, and dad doesn't want the baby to be named after him. I mean, what, you know, what if he's a little self-conscious? So the baby gets born and I'm all excited and emotional. And I said, are you crazy? He said, you know, I don't know who wouldn't want to have a baby named after him or her, but anyway, quite an honor. And the little guy is, uh, we're hanging around with him up in Seattle. So my attention has been divided between baby and the NFL, Paul. Good morning. Peter, good morning to you. And uh, while we all, I mean, it's, it's just an awesome week every single time we roll around here to holiday week, but I don't know if anybody has it better than you, if, if I can steal a line from the Harbaugh <laughs> family. I mean, think yeah. about your week. I mean, there's football, NFL football, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. You have a brand new healthy grandson who's named after you. I mean, you, you are you are certainly flying in the first class cabin here of holiday. Of we, we're all in the back. Let me tell you something. <laughs> we're all in the back just, just looking up at you, wishing we had that seat. So congratulations. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Paul. So here's what we're going to do today. I've got a conversation uh, that I recently recorded with Kurt Warner, uh, the obviously the Hall of Fame NFL quarterback and the actor who plays him uh, in the new Lionsgate movie that is debuting on Christmas across the United States. Uh, the actor is Zachary Levi, and uh, the name of the movie is American Underdog. I watched it, I screened it. You know, it's really good. I don't think it is overly uh, emotional, let's say, in terms of like tugging at your heartstrings, but it is just the real story. And we're going to get into a little bit of that later on in the podcast before we talk um, to, or before I talk to uh, Kurt Warner and, and Zachary Levi, because your co-host here, Paul Burmeister, has a very interesting Kurt Warner story hmm. that he's going to tell us a little bit later on in the podcast. That, my friends, is a professional tease. <laughs> so we're going to go through uh, the week that was and the week that is to be in the NFL. And here are our, our topics this week. Number one, I don't know why I'm so fascinated with this, but number one is going to be the MVP. Who is it? Could this be the first year since 2012 that it isn't a quarterback? And could it be somebody other than Jonathan Taylor? We're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss the 10 teams in the AFC that have seven or eight wins and why this weekend's games, and particularly the game Buffalo at New England, is clearly the most important game on the NFL schedule. And I'll tell you why Buffalo has the most at stake this weekend. We'll get into Paul's relationship with Kurt Warner. We'll get into what COVID and the uh, Omicron virus uh, variant uh, is doing to the sport. 
And we'll also discuss Tuesday night's games, a few thoughts on each one, uh, and get into an awful lot of really interesting little things going on in the league. Like, man, are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a mash unit or what? But anyway, we got a lot to discuss. And Paul, why don't we just start out with the MVP? And I know that everybody has different feelings about the MVP. And a lot of fans get upset about the MVP because I think many times it's just considered a quarterback award. And usually that's how I consider it too. But I'll tell you, this year, I definitely, with three weeks to go, I'm going to give strong consideration to both Jonathan Taylor and Cooper Cup. Now, Jonathan Taylor has got almost a 500-yard lead in the rushing race. He has taken over from Carson Wentz as clearly the go-to guy in the Indianapolis offense. The Colts are one of the hottest teams in football. He is in it. I think Aaron Rodgers is very much in it. How can you be more valuable to a team than Rodgers uh, has been to the Packers? I think Brady, Tom Brady is in it, even though uh, he had such a shaky game the other day and the Bucs looked awful against New Orleans. But I'll tell you, uh, Paul, I think we really have to start considering Cooper Cup. He leads in this, in this aerial show that is the NFL uh, in this modern age. He has 20 more receptions than any player in football. He's got 290 more receiving yards than any player in football and three more touchdown catches than anybody in football. So those would be the four that would be at the top of my list right now. Give me yours. Well, I'll follow up on your Cooper Cup thoughts there, Peter, and say that he's, he is my strong second. He's my strong runner-up. And you pointed out the numbers, the, the numbers alone, Peter, and you throw in what he's done individually with how they've won. I mean, it's just phenomenal. But when you dial it down even more, that three-game losing streak they had in November, I mean, they clearly got together and said, okay, something's got to change here because teams have changed the way they've defended us, or at least our production has gone way down. Cooper Cup in this three-game winning streak, he has 30 catches. I mean, he has way into double-digit targets every single game. So he is the furthest thing from a secret. He's not catching anybody by surprise. And two things really stand out to me when I watch him play right now. Uh, his numbers, yes, but it's the way he's getting those numbers. They're not 50-50 balls thrown up to him, although he can do right. that pretty well. They're not the little shotgun catch and flick it out wide and, you know, he picks up three or four yards. He is getting open with every single type of intermediate route against every single type of coverage and that to me says just wow here's a receiver who's mastered his craft and a coaching staff who has designed everything around that skill in addition to Matthew Stafford throwing the ball he is finding a way to get open with a wide range of moves and a wide range of routes when everybody knows the ball is going to him um, there are giant numbers everywhere in the passing game tight ends quarterbacks receivers but the way he's getting it done with those kind of routes at crunch time to me um, make him not only the best receiver but the closest guy to who I believe is the MVP. Okay, so Paul, I I I watched the Seahawks Rams game on Tuesday evening, and what was so interesting about the game is that okay, no, it, the Rams were down players. You know, everybody's down players now. 
but the Rams were down some significant players. And you don't yet have that chemistry between Matthew Stafford and Odell Beckham that I'm sure you're going to have as, as the weeks go on. Everybody at SoFi, everybody knew that the ball was going to Cooper Cup. Everybody. And, and, and what happens? He still is over 100 yards. And at the end of the game, at the end of the game, all you see is Cooper Cup making plays. And again, now again, against a depleted Seattle secondary, but still, everybody's got problems at this time of year. I am just wowed by everybody in the ballpark knowing you're going to Cooper Cup. And, you know, and, and there's nothing the Seahawks can do about it. Conversely, on Monday night, Justin Jefferson, in my opinion, was not uh, targeted nearly enough. And all the replays that ESPN would show, it, there's a reason why. He was blanketed by the Bears, but Cooper Cup found ways to get open, and you could tell he is so trusted by Matthew Stafford. I think it's a marvel watching him play. Yeah, he has a wonderful sense in the in the first part of his round, Peter, and I don't know what at the Combine can measure this. Maybe short area quickness, it's a little bit of speed, yeah. but no matter what route he's running, he has a wonderful way of setting up uh, someone covering him in man or whether he's being covered in zone the 10 yards or the 15 yards, 18 yards, whatever it is, before he makes that cut and expects the ball, he sets up his defender and kind of explodes out of that break with that sense of when it's time as well as anyone. And uh, I, I wish I had the exact, uh, the exact words or the exact drill that could measure that skill, uh, but right. he has it. He sets him up and he has an awareness of that moment he's open and how to make himself even just, just that little bit more open when it matters most. You know, we, this is a fantastic talk show topic uh, to discuss because I still might vote for a quarterback, Paul, because I think quarterbacks are so incredibly dominant and they're so important because, look, Matthew Stafford was my preseason pick and he's going to end up with ridiculous numbers. And he has really been a huge difference in this team. Uh, but I think right now on that team, I'd lean toward Cooper Cup. But we'll have time to wrangle about that. We should probably talk about that a little bit more uh, between now and the end of the season, our next few pods. Uh, let's move on to the logjam in the AFC. I think it's absolutely, uh, I, I just think it's so, so interesting when you look at what is happening in the AFC, and you have 10 teams that have right now uh, seven or eight wins. And when you look at sort of the, the, the really important factors in what is going to determine who's going to make it, I think we all have feelings right now. And I'll, I'll go over this, Paul, and please, if you disagree with what I'm about to say or what I'm going to say, I want you to interrupt me uh, because I'm going to just, we have not discussed this previously, but it's something that I kind of feel strongly about. Okay. Number one, I think we all feel like when you look at the four division winners, right? The four division winners take up four of the seven spots in the playoffs. And then the next three teams 
I think we all feel probably going into the last three weeks that Indianapolis and the Chargers are playing so well right now that my feeling is they probably both are going to make it. Uh, they're both going to make it if, if they don't indeed, if Indianapolis doesn't catch Tennessee. But the way I see it right now, you've got the four division winners and then assuming Tennessee wins the South and Kansas City wins the West. I think we like Indianapolis and the Chargers. Are you in agreement with that? I would like to, I was going to use my license to interrupt you there, Peter, yeah. hopefully to disagree, but I was going to use it to jump in and say, I had written down outside of Kansas city, the top two teams, I think to make noise in January are Indianapolis and the LA chargers. I believe in them yeah. more than the teams that are ahead of them. Some other division leaders, uh, but I, I'm right there with you. I think that the, the chargers with their potential explosiveness on offense and just the entire thing in Indianapolis, the run game, the quarterback, the defense, uh, those are those are my two teams as well. All right. So, you know, we talk about all the teams, you know, the 10 teams with seven or eight wins. I'm going to eliminate a couple of them right off the bat. OK, I'm going to eliminate uh, a second team in the AFC North because my feeling right now is they play each other so much in the last three weeks that they're going to knock each other off. You know, you like if you best? look, at, if you look at each team's schedule, you know I I think you've got Pittsburgh, which is at Kansas City this week. Their other two uh, games the rest of the way are division games. You look at Cincinnati; they also have Kansas City. They also have two division games other than that. Baltimore, two division games, and the Rams at home. And then obviously Cleveland, two division games, and then at Green Bay. Everybody in the AFC North the rest of the way has either a killer schedule or they're going to knock each other off. That's why I say that to me, there's probably only one team uh, in the AFC North that's going to make it, and that's the champion. But I'll tell you why I think this is such an important game this week for the Buffalo Bills. And that is, if you look at the, the chief tiebreaker uh, that will decide who's going to make these wildcard uh, spots in the AFC, the Bills conference record is five and five. Hmm. And, you know, look at the other teams that they're going up against. Okay. The other teams that they're competing against for spots Indianapolis seven and three, Chargers five and four, Pittsburgh five and four, Vegas five and four. So you've got a lot of teams that are going to be right in the thick of challenging. And obviously, some of those are going to be head to head. I mean, obviously, if, uh, if, if, if they were to tie with a team they've played during the season, then that's going to be the first tiebreaker. But I think generally, Paul, when I look at uh, the way this this goes. Buffalo, it's an important game for Buffalo anyway, just for their own psyche at New England, 1 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Game of the weekend, in my opinion, in the NFL. So that's really, really important. But as important is simply their playoff lives. If they lose this game to go to five and six, 
the best that they can finish, and I'm sure they will finish because their other conference game remaining is with the Jets. You know, the best that they would be able to finish really is uh, ten is is ten and seven if they lose to the Patriots, with and six and six in the conference. And I have a feeling there are going to be, I, I don't know how many, but I think there's going to be more than one team at ten and seven fighting for that seventh playoff spot. And I think also, Peter, to add on to the concerns that you raise about Buffalo, uh, three things really come to mind with the Bills thinking about not only this game, the, the, the fun one to watch coming up against New England, but the rest of the way for the regular season and however long they make it in January, who knows, maybe even February. They have three giant concerns. I have a hard time getting past. And I know they've had a really good season, win-loss total. And I know they're, they're looking pretty good seating-wise if they win against New England. But they will still have Number one, I think pretty big questions on defense. The defense has been inconsistent. You can also probably think of more uh, of stronger words to describe how they've struggled at times. You have an offensive line that's been a lot of times a real issue as well. And their commitment to the running game in terms of the, the number, the volume of carries, <coughs> they'll get their backs. And I know Singletary had over 20 this last week. I loved it. It was great. I think it helped Josh Allen a lot. But defense, O-line, commitment to run game, this time of year – I know Josh Allen's wonderful. Like I'll tune into any game to watch how he's playing all four quarters because he's that good. But they have major, major questions in three other areas that no matter what happens this weekend, Peter, I, I have concerns outside of their win-loss total, outside of their seeding uh, of how long they can really be around in January. And the other thing is, Paul, if you lose, I'm not, hey, look, the Bucks convinced everybody last year that they can win on the road. They'll be just fine. You know, uh, it, it, because they won throughout the playoffs on the road and then went and played at home. Now, I'd say that has a little bit of an asterisk on it because, you know, of the lack of real home field advantage in the postseason for the most part. But if Buffalo loses the ability to play any games at home, to me, that also has an impact on what happens with them. And you know what? We And again, we're not going to get political. We're not going to go all Fox News in here. But the fact is that an unvaccinated player who tested positive for COVID, Cole Beasley, and I would say he's become more famous for his COVID stance than for uh, being uh, last year a borderline all-pro wide receiver. Uh, he was all-pro on my ballot, which I took a lot of a lot of guff for, but I, I thought he was for slot receivers last year, the best in the league, but he'll be missing now because he has tested positive. An unvaccinated player has to be out at least 10 days. So assuming that he comes back and tests negative, he'll be able to play the last two games of the year. But again, last two games of the year are at home against the Falcons and the Jets. So I'm not too worried about those. This is the game that I'm worried about. That loss is really going to hurt Buffalo. So that, to me, I, look, I will be mesmerized by that football game this weekend. I know I have to monitor all of them, but I'll be watching every play of that game. Paul, let's, let's just go in very quickly to three other quick little bullet points about this weekend and about where teams stand. Let's start, let's each have a, a little comment about, about Tampa Bay and that 
in my opinion, there is no team that is really on the precipice now of being too beat up. I mean, if they start to get hit with COVID, they are really in trouble because Chris Godwin, who had 32 targets in the game before he tore his ACL over a two-game period, excuse me, 32 targets over a two-game period before he tore his ACL Sunday night against New Orleans, his loss is gigantic. And again, I'm not a big fan of Bruce Arians going back on his word and bringing Antonio Brown back onto the team. But at the end of the day, Bruce Arians is doing everything he can to try to help his team win. I'm not justifying it at all. But I'll tell you, with Leonard Fournette dinged, with Mike Evans dinged, uh, it's almost like Antonio Brown, whenever he does play, is going to step in as an absolutely crucial piece to this puzzle. I think I think that this Buccaneers team, this offense specifically, Peter, right now, you have to, all these weeks into the season, this is the one team, the one side of the ball in the NFL, you really have to, to hit control all the lead on the entire thing and what you think about what they can do coming up in these next few weeks. I mean, just 10 days ago, the first half, I think in particular that second quarter against Buffalo at home, they were rolling. And I was sitting there watching, I'm like, this is the Buccaneers team. They're hitting the gas. They had that next gear. We knew they had the entire season. Now they're going to show up the rest of the way. Well, back then and compared to now, they're without Fournette in the run game. And don't forget the passing game. He was catching a lot of balls as well. They're without Godwin. Who knows about, Who knows what's going to happen with Evans? I mean, and then you have Gronk. Those are the four ways they led that offense. Three of them are probably gone now the rest of the way. And Gronk is only at his best when he's a supplement to somebody else in the pass game or the run game at this point. So um, it's an amazing 180. They've been forced to do there with the the offense and the weapons and the way they dictate to a defense. And they can't do that now. And my eyes are going to be glued to them to see if they can respond and produce the kind of results, win-loss, that they're expecting without the major, major parts of their pass game besides Tom. A couple of points about last night's games as we record this on Wednesday morning, December 22. There, there were two games obviously rescheduled because of COVID. Let's start in Philadelphia, Paul, where to me, I, I, I marvel. I marvel at Nick Sirianni turning the Philadelphia Eagles into such a strong and basically right now at this moment fairly unstoppable running team against a formidable front in Washington 41 rushes 238 yards Uh, they now have run the ball for 175 yards or more uh, six, six times now and I just look at the Philadelphia Eagles and I say This is probably one of those teams. Right now, they are the eighth seed at seven and seven. Um, And they're they're basically uh, right in a a chunk with Minnesota and New Orleans. And I'll tell you, everybody says, oh, you don't want to play them. But, you know, Philadelphia is such an interesting team right now. How do you look at them? I think I'd like to ramp it up a notch with the Eagles. And the, I think the, the popular thing to say about them right now and recognizing how much better they're playing and how unique their offensive style is, is to say they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. You don't want to see them. I mean, someone's going to have a hard time with them. I could see them winning a game in January, Peter. Like, I think it's that different. I mean, Jalen Hurts yeah. running the ball, their commitment to the running backs, 
defense getting better. I could easily see them upsetting somebody in January. I'm not going to say they'll be around, you know, too much longer in the playoffs, but this is a team that's doing something really different on offense and they're doing it really well. They appear to be peaking and watch out, not just a tough out, but a team that could really win one in January. I want to say one thing about Washington. I talked to Ron Rivera, the head coach on Sunday, and he, I said, Ron, you know, you may have to play with a quarterback who is go would play in this game without having one serious regular practice with a team and who has not been in this offense for three years. Mm-hmm. They picked them up off the Patriots practice squad. Uh, Garrett Gilbert, I'm talking about. And I look up at one point in the fourth quarter on Tuesday night, and Washington is three points behind Philadelphia at Philadelphia. And they can't stop the Eagles, but somehow, some way, they're that close. I really, even though they ended up losing by 10, I got to tell you, my hat's off to Rivera and to Washington, not to their run defense. About everybody else. And look, Garrett Gilbert didn't play great in this game, but you know, imagine just walking into a team. And Mm. last night was the first time he had played full speed in a football game with this team ever. So I I, I've got more applause, a lot more applause for Washington than most teams in 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 week 15. Completely with you. And I think for all these teams where the season doesn't appear to be going where the fans and the coaches players want it to be, you you kind of step back and you look at how are they playing? How are they competing? How are they dealing with the really difficult circumstances they have? And you, you connect that to the coach. And I'm with you on Ron Rivera. I think he's done a heck of a job there. Uh, I'm not around that team, uh, but I know from watching them, they wouldn't be competing the way they are and hanging around the playoff race with the cards they've been dealt if they didn't think a lot of Ron Rivera. So that's that's my read on what they're doing there. Interesting thing now, when you look at Philadelphia um, and you, you look at their schedule, the Giants at home, at Washington, and then Dallas at home. Uh, I mean, I think they've got a better chance uh, to be the seventh seed than either Minnesota or New Orleans, but we'll see. Um, The other game, the Rams hosting and beating the Seahawks. So many topics out of this game, but I think the two that interest me the most are, you know, what's the future now of Russell Wilson? Um, I saw one uh, analytics service after the game say the Seahawks have a 0.1% chance Mm. of now making the playoffs. The best they could be is eight and nine. And the worst thing for them is they're two and seven in the conference. I mean, you know, the, the Detroit lions are two and seven in the conference, you know, so it's uh, it's a grim year and you just wonder what the future holds for Russell Wilson. I think it's definitely possible that he's playing his last year in Seattle. And I've heard a lot of people, uh, Paul say that he has not played well and he has not had a great year at all. Um, and what that could do to his value in trade. I'll tell you this. I would trade three ones for Russell Wilson in a Mm. heartbeat. And I don't know what you see when you watch him or whether it really affects what you think of him long-term. Give me your thoughts. 
Uh, it's interesting there. Three ones is is a heavy price, and we've talked about it quite a bit. The way GMs are willing to wheel and deal and think about it and deal their ones now. You know, maybe somebody would give up threes. It'll be a great story in the offseason. The headline for me with Seattle after that game last night, Peter, is the one losing season. They're guaranteed their first losing season. It's amazing since Russell Wilson has been uh, since Russell Wilson's been there. That's significant. So pick out any franchise, Peter. You know, one that struggled, Jets, Jaguars one that's really achieved. I mean, Patriots, all the other ones up there, you label them worst season in a decade. That's significant. That has some teeth and, you know, that leads to changes. So uh, I'd be shocked if Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll are back after the worst season in a decade. I'm not saying they both should be gone. If they could find a way to keep those guys happy and together, hey, it's been a hell of a formula. It's worked extremely well. But when you have your worst season in 10 years, uh, major things usually change, like quarterback and head coach. And it feels like we're headed down that road with Seattle. I think so. I think at least one of them uh, yeah. will change. And maybe both. We'll see. But I, I do feel sad about that a little bit. I really love I love what John Schneider has built there, uh, yeah. along with Pete Carroll. I really do. It's They have been absolutely tremendous over a long period of time. And part of you says, uh, hey, look, one losing season, that should not condemn uh, Pete Carroll to uh, getting fired. And I understand that. I totally get it. The question is, you are on the precipice of maybe making major changes on your team. If you decide not to make major changes on your team, I would understand why because you've been in the playoffs almost every year and you could either say, eh, it's just a bad year, or do you want your 70 year old coach and a quarterback who maybe won't say it publicly, uh, but a quarterback who certainly has expressed some problems with what's going on in the organization. You really have to ask yourself, do you want to head into the future like this? And I think that is something that they are definitely going to have to ask themselves down the stretch. The last thing before we get to our uh, Paul Burmeister uh, going down memory lane for us and telling us a story that I don't even know. But before we do that, I just want to talk a little bit about the games of this weekend, because I think it's an absolutely fascinating weekend that the likes of which, I mean, this, to me, this is the key weekend to determining what happens in the playoffs this year. And I'll give you, we, we all think, we both think that, you know, the Patriots and the, uh, and the Bills is an absolutely huge game, all right? So let's take that one off the table. I want to pick one other game that really kind of fascinates me as having huge impact on the playoff race going forward. Okay, and I'll tell you, it's a little bit unexpected. But to me, the other game that I'm really looking forward to, to spying on some this weekend um, is Indianapolis and uh, Arizona. Yep. Paul, Arizona, they've lost three. They're, they're three and four in their last seven games after starting seven and oh. And I think normally you would say, well, you know, they're going to be okay. Kyler Murray's going to be all right and all that. But I'd be worried a little bit about what you have seen, particularly 
what you have seen uh, in this defense recently. And so I think I would be a little bit concerned uh, about that, but that's the game I'm really interested in down the stretch, uh, you know, in week 16. Give me yours. Uh, before I give you mine, I'll, I'll go one more there with, um, with Arizona, not only against Indianapolis, but they play the Cowboys the next week. And, and all the issues Arizona has had and all the legitimate reasons we have to question, are they going to be at their best in the postseason? They can make it all go away if they beat the Colts and the Cowboys in back-to-back -back weeks. If they pull that off, people aren't going to be talking about this really difficult stretch they've had. Game I'm looking at this weekend, you brought up the AFC North a little bit, but Baltimore and Cincinnati is going to yeah. be – an outstanding game. I believe it's an early kick, just like Buffalo and New England. So it, it yep. may not get quite as much attention, but there's not a team in the AFC North with a losing record. And I believe in Cincinnati uh, a month ago, I would have said Baltimore's the team. They're always going to find a way to get it done. They have Lamar. Uh, things have changed there. Everything has felt so arduous for them this season. Uh, it's easy to believe in their history and in their fight. But I'm going to go with Cincinnati. I, I, I put them kind of right after Indianapolis and L.A. Chargers with AFC teams that can really make a push uh, against Kansas City or maybe New England down the road here in the next month. Uh, but I'm, I'm hanging my hat on the Bengals there, and I look for a big win out of them against the Ravens. I'll tell you what's really weird about the AFC North. Really, really weird. I think the best team right now by just a smidge is Cincinnati. But I, I, I would just tell you right now that I watched a lot of that Cleveland-Cincinnati game uh, several weeks ago, and I thought it was one of the most surprising games of this season because for the Browns to go to Cincinnati and to win by 25 points against what I thought at that moment even after the Bengals lost to the Jets, I thought that was the best team in the AFC North. And, you know, now I, I, I honestly could see a lot of different things happening in this division. The, the tough thing for teams to overcome right now is the schedule. And it is so bizarre how it falls in the last three weeks. Cincinnati has to play Kansas City. Baltimore has to play the Rams. Pittsburgh has to play Kansas City. Cleveland has to play Green Bay. So I think it's just, we're going to go to week, week 18. And I'll tell you right now, I would bet a lot of money that game 272, the final game of the season, Sunday night on NBC, is going to be one of the AFC North games. I, 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 I've got to think. Yeah. That, that a division, a game for the division championship in the last game of the season, if indeed that's how it falls, last week of the season, Cincinnati at Cleveland, like I said, Cleveland beat them by 25 just a month ago, and Pittsburgh at Baltimore. And so these are both just really, really fun. It's fun to think of the prospects of that. And just imagine... Before the season, if we did this podcast, and I said, hey, Paul, what would be the odds that the Cincinnati-Cleveland game would be game <laughs> 272 in the NFL this year? How right? crazy is that, really? Anyway. And, and, 
and maybe even a better one than uh, Pittsburgh Baltimore, which has a, a wonderful past on Sunday night football. But uh, either yeah. one of those two games would be an awesome watch that last Sunday night. Yeah. Hey, uh, Paul, before we get to uh, Zachary Levi and Kurt Warner, uh, Levi plays Warner in the new film, American Underdog, uh, which is in theaters on Christmas Day. You have a very interesting story and a very interesting past with Kurt Warner. And I'm going to give you the floor. I'm dying to hear this story. Well, Kurt and I were both in the class of 1989, the high school graduating class of 89. We both grew up in Eastern Iowa. I went to Iowa City West High School. He went to Cedar Rapids Regis High School, which is no longer in existence. Also where Zach Johnson went to high school as well. But our high schools were about 20 minutes apart. And I grew up playing basketball and baseball against Kurt uh, and always looked forward to it because he was he was the best player on, on the field on the other side in those two sports. And we would go at it in those two sports. I mean, we even got into a shoving match in a basketball game once in like eighth or ninth grade. Somewhere in my parents' basement, I have a VH, VHS tape. I'll, I'll, I'll dig it up some offseason uh, just for laughs. But Kurt and I grew up competing against each other. And football was kind of like the other sport for both of us. We were more hoops and more baseball. And as Kurt would tell the story, and I, I don't know if it really came down to the two of us, but Iowa was going to offer one quarterback from the state of Iowa in the class of 89. And Hayden Fry picked me. And, you know, Kurt obviously went on to play at Northern Iowa and on to the Hall of Fame. And I went on to a decent career and a cup of coffee in the NFL. So it's easy to say that Hayden made the wrong choice. And Kurt and I always had that connection, Peter, but we were never around each other a lot for about 20 years. And through my work at NFL Network, and as he got off the playing field, we started working together. And he would always needle me, uh, whether it was with a text or we got into a room, hey, there's the guy who took my scholarship. And the first couple of times, I just thought it was a funny anecdote, but I started to realize he's, he's still a little bit pissed that that <laughs> happened all the way back in 1989. It still, it still gets to him. And I've said to him a couple of times, I'm like, Kurt, uh, Super Bowl, Hall of Fame later, like it, it's all worked out for you. Like I'm, I'm the guy on the other side, actually, in this story. Uh, but I have really enjoyed the last 10 years getting to know him, uh, not just the connection and him as a competitor, but I think it was 2010, we called the Arena Football League uh, Championship in Spokane, Washington. And we both had to get somewhere right away after the game. We got on this private plane and flew to, we flew somewhere, I forget. But it was just the two of us on a plane for quite a while. And it was so much fun to, to just go through the stories and talk about relationships. And that kind of kick-started about three or four years at NFL Network where we were together a lot. I remember covering that, uh, that quarterback day tour of Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater, Blake Bortles in one week. Kurt and I were traveling around together doing that. So uh, we always had a really kind of fun or funny connection with our past, but now we have a pretty good relationship. And he always gets in the little jab about <laughs> me taking his scholarship every time. I never, that is an absolutely awesome story. I just love that. I never knew. Uh, that was really, really fun. Hey, Paul Burmeister, thanks so much. I really want to wish you and yours the happiest and merriest of Christmases. And um, I appreciate everything you do uh, in helping me with this podcast every week. Thank you. Merry Christmas to the Burmeisters. Hey, I thank you for allowing me on each week. And more important right now, Merry Christmas to you. And uh, one of the great things about getting older is perspective. And I know you have the perspective to enjoy every minute out there with your family. So uh, Merry Christmas to you and everyone you're sharing it with out there. Sounds great. Um, so 
let's get to my conversation with the the star of American Underdog, Zachary Levi, who plays Kurt Warner. And I was able to have a conversation with both guys recently to talk about everything from playing Kurt Warner for Levi to Warner looking up at the screen and saying, oh my God, there's a movie about my life, which he still does as you'll, he's still kind of in awe of this. So uh, here's my conversation with Zachary Levi and Kurt Warner. So back on the podcast, this is something I've really never done before. I've never done interviews like with a Hollywood star with a pro football hall of famer sitting next to him. So this is going to be kind of a cool thing. This is, uh, I've got Zachary Levi, uh, who plays Kurt Warner in the upcoming American underdog movie, uh, which is going to be released on Christmas by Lionsgate pictures. Um, Zachary actually is going to be right with Kurt as you see right now. So I was really happy to be able to be joined by you guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. You bet, Peter. I know you've done a lot okay. of things, so it's, it's nice to be a first for Peter King. Oh, yeah, we're bucket listing here <laughs> yeah, right now. No, this no, is fantastic. No, yeah. Zach, I want to start by just asking you this, this question. Where were you on, in January 2000 when this bizarre story, Kurt Warner comes out and wins the Super Bowl and everybody and, across uh, America is saying, who in the world is this Kurt Warner? What, oh, I think our, our connection's unstable. Holy crap. This is good. Okay. Uh, Peter, can you ask that question again? Where was I? Yes. Where was I? And then what? Yeah. I'm going to ask it again. I'm going to start it and ask it again. All right, here we go. So, Zach, we'll start by saying, you know, this had to be an interesting experience just because I assume... You're a bit of a football fan, but I want to know, where were you in January 2000, the day that Kurt Warner won his Super Bowl with the Rams? I was in Ventura, California at my parents' house. I was a 19-year-old version of uh, whatever this is, and uh, watching the 28, 27, 28-year-old 20, version of this guy, which was really just a few years ago. Who, who are we kidding? <laughs> right. Uh, and, and I was watching history. I was watching this incredible Cinderella story with my own eyes and just being completely blown away and inspired. Were you aware of the Kurt Warner story at that time? Yeah. I mean, I was aware of as aware as anybody else following the news cycle would be, you know, this incredible come out of nowhere rookie who got his second chance and was, you know, um, stocking shelves at a grocery store, you know, years prior, or just a year prior playing arena football, you know, all of that stuff. I got all those bullet points, all that very inspirational stuff, but it wasn't until I'd read the script, this incredible script that was written by John Gunn, that I got all the rest of the incredible depth and backstory of his relationship with Brenda and her kids and how all of that was such an incredible, you know, really foundation for who would, Kurt would become as a man and as a leader and as a quarterback. I'll tell you what I really found interesting, Kurt, and I'd love to hear your thought about this. I found interesting that Anna Paquin really reminds me of Brenda. And yeah. I think Zach did a really good job. Not only does he look like you, but his mannerisms are like you. He's confident, but not overwhelmingly cocky. What'd you think of the casting? 
You're right, Peter. I think when people ask you, you know, who do you want to play you in a movie? The first thing you do is go, okay, does he look like me? But, you know, as you get further and deeper into this thing, you say to yourself, okay, I don't really care as much about does he look like me, even though Zach does. You say, can he get the essence of who you are? Or can they get the essence of who we are when they get on the big screen? And, you know, I'll start with Zach is that, you know, Zach came, uh, you know, shortly after he signed it to be a, a part of the movie, came to the house, spent a few days with us. And it didn't take me long to go, okay, I know he's a great actor, but I think part of it when they're doing your life story is you go, I don't want Zach to have to act so much to try to figure out who I am. He was very similar to me in the way that he lives life, his heart for people, uh, the way he carries himself. And so in all of that, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be perfect for me. Zach's going to do an unbelievable job playing me. And as you know, Peter, the challenge when you're doing a movie like this is, I'm as worried about, can Anna get my wife right? Uh, because this movie is going to live forever. So you want to make sure that your wife is happy with the movie. And, and you know, you know, Brenda, to, to some degree, you know, the challenges there, the challenges of when we met who she was, some of the walls that she had up, you know, a former Marine. So, you know, that toughness that she had to bring as a single mom and a Marine. Um, but there's also a softness to her. There's an unbelievable heart in Brenda and not everybody, um, you know, has been able to see that over the years when they only look at in the public eye in certain situations. So that was to me going to be the challenge for Anna was, can you be tough and soft at the same time? You know, can, can you, can you be all those things that Brenda brings to the table? And I thought Anna, and I think you said it is when you get to know Anna, she's very much like that too. I mean, she's very outspoken. She's very bold. She's very strong. Um, but she's also soft and she's a mom. And so uh, I thought they hit the nail on the head with both Zach and Anna. And I thought Anna did a great job of being able to capture those different levels of Brenda that we really wanted to show in the film. The, the movie in and of itself is really, really interesting because as Kurt, I mean, we've talked about this before. Nobody would really believe this if you just invented it and nobody had ever heard of Kurt Warner and you and you heard the story. But I wonder, what was it like for you standing on a movie set, watching a movie being made of your life? Uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And I, I tell you what, uh, just in and of itself, um, you know, it brought back a lot of emotions, uh, you know, because sometimes when you're going through life, you're just worried about the next day. Like, hey, what am I doing tomorrow? And you, and you forget about some of those things and, and not that they happened, but really the emotions that come with those things. And so watching the movie brought me back to a lot of those moments and, and brought me back to some of those emotions and brought me back to, to some of those things that Brenda and I went through that really shaped who we were. Uh, but I'll tell you what, you know, the, the toughest part is that you know, when you go into this process, you think, okay, great. This is going to be an opportunity for us to lay out everything in our lives. And you got so many things in your mind, like, oh, this is going to be a great scene. And that's going to be a great scene. And I can't wait to, to lift up this character or that. And then you go through the movie process and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we got to cut that scene out and, and that's not going to work. And we got to, you know, make sure, you know, certain characters that, you know, are vital. So, you know, in watching the, the film, Peter, like my dad doesn't even really make the movie. And you, you sit back and you go, how do we make a movie without my dad in it? Because I've got such a great relationship, but you've got to step back from it and go, okay, what is the movie 
that we're trying to tell? What is the message that we're trying to send? And when you finally take that approach, you can start to understand, okay, why we have to do things a certain way and why we have to, you know, put a couple characters maybe together into one character and why certain people or, or scenes are cut out of the movie because they don't add to the whole of the movie. And so, or, it, or, or, sorry, not to interrupt, yeah. or sometimes it's not even that they're not adding to the, to the movie. It's just, we've only got an sure. hour and a half, two yeah. hours to tell that story, you know? Yeah. So they very, if we were making the, 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 the series of, yeah. of, you know, American underdog, the series, everybody would probably be yeah. in that story, but you gotta yeah figure out that artistic license to truncate it all and fit it all together. And so that was the hardest part, Peter, was just, getting a grasp on what the movie making process is. And, you know, they had to tell us all the time, we're not making a documentary. We're making a movie about your life because you do think when you go into this, oh, it's a documentary. Zach, you got to lift your hand when I lifted my hand and you got to drop in the pocket exact. And they're like, no, no, we're trying to get the essence of you right. We're trying to get this story right. And then they're going to do it in their own way. So you have to let go of some of that stuff that, uh, that you go in is kind of you know, you're holding on to so tightly and then you go okay we got to let it go and we got to trust the people involved even though we had a great say in in you know a lot of the movie we have to trust them to make the right kind of movie and the best movie that will really touch the audience Zach how did you learn how to play Kurt Warner the football player uh well watched a, a good amount of tape um and then uh, I, Kurt himself I mean every time we had some time on set Kurt was on set a lot uh even when I visited him in Phoenix uh, prior to that we threw the ball around he gave me some ideas and some uh you know some tips and tricks on the mechanics uh of you know and again not just the mechanics of throwing uh, uh throwing a good a good ball but mechanics of you know and then me just watching him in real life like how does he move and what is he doing And then on set, we got to throw the ball around a good bit as well. And I had this really great uh, quarterback coach named Clint Dolezal, who uh, ironically played in arena at the same time as Kurt. They played against each other. And then Clint also got drafted, but didn't have nearly the, uh, the, you know, storied career that that Kurt had in the NFL. So Clint was great because he, he, I live in Austin, Texas, and he was in Texas and we were able to get together during the pandemic. And we were at my ranch, just, you know, going over all kinds of stuff, not just the mechanics of how to throw a dime, but also like what it means to be in a quarterback's mind, how to read your coverage, how to get rid of the ball, how to not telegraph what receiver you're looking at when you're, you know, getting rid of the ball, all that kind of stuff, leading a team in the huddle uh, under center. I mean, all that jazz, it was a crash course. It was like a, a month and a half, two months that I got, but, uh, it was a really incredible experience learning the differences between college ball, arena ball, and NFL, and you know uh, where they cross over and where they don't. Um, and I feel like between all of the incredible tutelage that I got from these guys and the incredible doubles that I had, you know, taking the harder hits, I took some hits. I took some hits. <laughs> you didn't take. I took years. some. I absolutely took some hits. I did. I literally did. I 100 percent did. They're smaller hits. They're like quarter. They're like quarter load hits. But the point is, the point is. Uh, we had we had an incredible squad all the way around. And I think, you know, even though the movies, you know, mostly the family dynamic and how he and Brenda and the kids all came together, there's still so much solid football in there. And I think the Irwin boys directed the heck out of it. I, it's really good football. Okay. So I want to ask you about one throw you made in the movie. And I don't even know if you made the throw and I'd love to hear it. So the first throw of the movie where Kurt is this fifth-year player at Northern Iowa. 
just trying to make something of his dream. And he's got a coach who's, who's basically preaching, stay in the pocket, stay in the pocket. And you don't stay in the pocket. You go out and you roll out to the left and you make this beautiful throw for a touchdown. So tell me about that scene right there. And did you play any part of it? Me or or Kurt? No, no, no. Zach, Zach. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, look, I I mean, there might have been a few a few scenes or a few, uh, you know, throws that uh, sequences that I wasn't a part of. But by and large, I, I at least threw uh, my version of every one of those of every one of those plays. Yeah. And then depending on the coverage, because I got to tell you, on that particular throw, Kurt has made that exact rollout sixty nine times in his career and made a big play. And I just <laughs> thought that's a Kurt Warner play. I, I mean, you know, and I and I don't know whether that was by design with the movie. But I thought the realism of that, of, of, of writing it that way and doing it that way. And Kurt, I don't know how much you had to do with that, but I really thought that was you. Well, that's exactly what we're going for. Exactly. But, but here's the crazy thing is that I was on set for actually not the college stuff, but for a lot of the football stuff, you know, the arena and NFL stuff. And I had very little say in what they did and because I didn't have to. I mean, I remember them on set running plays that I remember running, the exact yeah. plays that I remember running in those games. So they had it marked out. Like you said, certain throws. I don't remember that throw from college. I don't know if I made that throw in college. Um, but there were so many throws that I'm like, my, I even remember that play. And that's exactly how they played it out. So the people that we had involved with the football side of it, yeah. I thought did an that's incredible fantastic. job of, of really playing that out. So I thought, and that's part of the reason why I went to set for those days when we were doing football. Like, I want to make sure I step in because we got to get the football right. And I really had to say very little because I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, I, I could call that play in my head right now because I remember it playing out. So, um, you know, but, but that is a big part of it, Peter, right, is that you're making a sports movie. You better get the sports right. You don't get the sports right. You're going to lose people for the rest of the movie and what you're trying to tell them. And so. Uh, very proud of, of that part of it, what Zach did and, and all the pieces together came together and, and really did a great job. I thought with the, with the sports pieces that it's really, all it does is enhance the movie, even though we know when you watch the movie, it's not all football stuff, but the football stuff I think right. is, is great in this yeah, movie. Yeah. Two other things, Zach, I, I, I'm really curious. You're making a movie about a guy's life and that guy, I guess about half the time, is standing just feet away from you, basically judging. Let's see, how's he going to do in this scene? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. Is he, and not so is subtly he gonna be either, real this in this scene. Was that a little bit intimidating? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, look, I, I wouldn't say it was intimidating because Kurt or Brenda put any of that intimidation on uh, Anna or I, we felt very supported by them. We felt very believed in by them. We knew that if there was something that felt a little off, they would communicate that to us or to the Irwin brothers who were directing. Um, uh, and they were an incredible resource, an instant resource. We could go and ask them, hey, in this moment, how did you feel? What did it look like? You know, I remember going to you and saying like, you know, after that touchdown, like what, you know, it's like, oh yeah, it's the two fingers in the air, you know, trying to trying to figure out the little, 
idiosyncrasies and nuances and stuff like that. But I will say that, you know, look, I, there's, there's a pressure on you, whether you put it on yourself solely or you feel like it's from other people, if you're portraying a person in their life and this person is still very much alive and they're famous and people know their face and their and a lot of, of their life you know daniel day lewis gets to play abe lincoln nobody's comparing the two I, really i have to live up to you know a thing that people can constantly compare me to but all that said i feel really good about it i really feel like you know i like kurt said i mean you know we we're, we're not making a documentary, but we are making something as close to that as possible within a really compelling and uh, hopefully entertaining and inspiring film. And I think all of those pieces got there in spades. Zach, why does this movie matter and why does it matter now? Well, I, I, I think it matters uh, because we all need to be reminded of possibility we all need to be inspired we all need to be reminded that hope and faith actually have a significance and a power in our lives and the lives of other people and how we are all connected and put together and all this and and it's i think it's important now for the same reason that i think that's important every single day of every year it's evergreen everyone always needs these things and i i i, I guess i could say we could say that maybe right now maybe even a little bit more because of the state of the world and the country and every the division. And I think there's a lot of people because of the economy and all that. I mean, people are feeling like what's going on and is there anything, can I still hold on to some hope or some dream? And I think, I think that we can say unequivocally, yes, yes, you can. And I think a, a movie like this helps to remind people of that. I, I just think people want to be reminded that there's still room for goodness. I, Amen. I, that's just kind of my gut feel. Um, Kurt, I'm going to end with this. You know, having been around you so much over the years, you're one of the few guys who I've ever covered who, even in private moments, does not have phony bones come out. And I wonder, looking back on the last 20, 22 years of your life, do you find yourself ever saying to yourself, you know, even though I hope for this, it really is shocking that it turned out this way. I, I think without a doubt um, is that, you know, lots of parts of this are the dream that I had when I was seven or eight in my front yard and, and how this is all going to play out. Um, but, you know, we've talked numerous times, Peter, is that for a huge part of this journey, I was asking, you know, why me? You know, why, why do I have to be the guy sitting on the bench? And why do I have to be the guy stocking shelves? Why do I have to be the guy playing arena football um but when you actually get to the other side of it uh you find yourself asking that same question with a little different inflection like why me you know why do i get to have this story on the big screen why do i get to have this journey um that's so unique and it's and it's one of a kind um that you start to embrace it completely differently than you know you were thinking about it as you were going through it so yeah i mean uh, uh, something like this, because again, you, you start going through life and you go, okay, we've been involved with this so long. It's just, okay, what's next? And, and we got seven kids and what are they doing? Being involved with this project, I think made us all and meaning my family and my wife and I kind of step back and do exactly what you're talking about. Like, wow, do, do you believe that this all really played out? Like what's happening on this, but this is all real. 
And, and I think that's the beauty of the movie is that, you know, it kind of seems like that fairy tale, but we got to step back and go, this really happened. And this is what real life is all about. And when people go see the movie, they're going to get to say that too, is they're going to go, and this really happened. This is real life for someone. Why can't it be real life for me? Zachary Levi, star of the new film, American Underdog by Lionsgate with Kurt Warner. Thanks so much for taking the time, you guys, and, and really good luck. Thanks Thank a lot. Thank Merry you, Christmas, Peter. Peter. Pleasure to meet you. Yeah, Merry Christmas. My thanks to Paul Burmeister, as always, and to Zachary Levi and Kurt Warner for their time and their thoughts I felt a little bit like Terry Gross on, on uh, Fresh Air talking to a movie star and to, uh, and to the person that he plays in this movie. But American Underdog, I've seen it. I liked it. Uh, and I hope you get to go see it. As I say, as I said in the conversation, it's a movie that we really need right now, in my opinion. And uh, I think they did a, a really good job of sort of telling the Kurt Warner story without being overly dramatic or overly trite. So thanks for listening to the podcast this week. A little bit later than usual, but we wanted to make sure that we accounted for every game in week 15. And we'll be back at the regular time next week to dissect the week that was and the week to come in the National Football League.